Last week, we noted that Revelation chapter 17 is speaking about Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. In my message last week, which I titled Babylon the Not-So-Great Part 1, I detailed how in contrast to the futurist views that posit mystery Babylon as the Catholic Church, a yet future revived Roman Empire, or a host of other options given, the proper and preterist understanding points out that such a moniker can only apply to the first century Jerusalem. In my continued reading of the book of Revelation, I honestly do not understand how we can miss it. We are reading the story of covenant faithfulness demanded by God, but covenant unfaithfulness shown by his people, Israel. The story, or better said, the gospel we possess as Christians, the manifold wisdom of God, as understood through Jesus Christ, is God's solution to man's innate problem. This is the blessing of the new covenant that we celebrate in Christ, and essentially, this is what is being revealed through the book of Revelation. As we near the time of the holiday season, it is an important concept that many of you have heard me say a couple times recently, is being blessed, we are required to bless others. As we move through this holiday season here at Blue Point Bible Church, you will be given numerous opportunities to grow in your knowledge of God. Today I will bring forth a scriptural exhortation from our reading in Revelation chapter 18 that will, that will challenge you in your use of the knowledge of God, namely our proper understanding of and the use of the knowledge of God effectively is what marks us as Christians. Simply put, we are given the manifold wisdom of God to bless the nations with it. The traditional celebration of Advent begins next Sunday, which if you trace the tradition and you find the tradition to be worth celebrating, demonstrates a time of self-examination as to your stance in the faith and your growth in the grace and knowledge of God. At Christmas, we celebrate more than a baby in a manger, of course. We celebrate the reality of God being with us in all that was fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that we have been given the responsibility of bringing that reality to bear on all of God's creation? We are called to have dominion, you know, think sort of the Garden of Eden. I am excited to say that, in, that we have a Bible study we have lined up for our Wednesday night Bible study beginning in January 2016. will further detail Israel's mission and how we are called to live in a world full of idolatry and so forth. Ephesians 3.15 explains that the church is called to make known the manifold wisdom of God. This is the fulfillment of God's administration in Jesus Christ. It is 2 Thessalonians 2.13 which reminds us, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. As I, am already, as I have already mentioned this morning, I want to go through Revelation chapter 18. Our text is going to highlight Mystery Babylon. Coming under judgment, which I explained last week in part one of this message, is first century Jerusalem. I will further prove that through scripture this morning, as well as find a clear and direct exhortation for us today. Let's take a look at the text and read Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 24. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and, and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of unclean, every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. 
I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not receive and participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give her back double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth, who committed acts of immorality and lived sensually, sensuously with her, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe to the great city, Babylon the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, and precious stones, and pearls, and fine linen, and purple, and silks, and scarlet, and every kind of citron wood, and every article of ivory, and every article made from costly wood, and bronze, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and spice, and incense, and perfume, and frankincense, and wine, and olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, cargoes of horses, chariots, slaves, and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things, who became rich from her, will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe to the great city. She was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe to the great city in which who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for her against you. For you against her. (laughs) Sorry about that. Verse 21. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeteers will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman or craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of the mill will no longer be heard in you. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who had been slain on the earth. Steve Temple in his book, Who Was the Mother of Harlots, noted the first issue in the subject is the vindication of the martyrs. Again, we read that in that last verse, verse 24, that in her was found the blood of the martyrs. And the second is the identity of the great city. So once we understand God is vindicating his martyrs, that is the story of the book of Revelation, and we understand that this Babylon that is being destroyed is the Babylon that is where the blood of the saints and the prophets is found, then we can begin to find out the identity of the mystery Babylon. The first scripture I want to bring us to this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 32, specifically verses 35 through 36, and then 42 through 45. And here we read, starting at verse 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip, 
For the day of their calamity is near, and their impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and will have compassion on his servants, when he sees that their strength is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free. Continuing to verse 37, and he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? Moving on to verse 42 through 45. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives. From the long-haired leaders of the enemy, rejoice, O nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone his land and his people. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 14 through 30, you establish the context that this is Moses speaking to flesh and blood Israel at the commissioning of Joshua. For Moses knew he would not enter the land of Canaan with the people. I intend to bring you on a journey through Scripture this morning, so that you may want to, t- you may want to take out that pew Bible and follow along. That being noted, I will also be sending out review sheets I had promised later on today. One thing you will note, and I must praise God for, is that I have found many reading resources very valuable in my journey to understand the book of Revelation. I write them in the review sheets and encourage you to either borrow them or buy them. Beginning with Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, which marks that the angel coming down out of heaven, here in the Apostle John's vision, said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. The fact that I established who Babylon was already by the use of Deuteronomy, we now understand that Babylon is in reference to wicked and apostate Jerusalem, or Israel. This was the time of fulfillment, the generation that would experience the last days that Moses talked about going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Jesus himself told the Jewish religious leaders that they had fulfilled prophecy of being full of demons, and that is exactly what the Apostle John is saying here in Revelation, yet using imagery. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Going to read verses 38 to 45. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone then greater than Jonah is here now. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Remember again, Jesus comes after 400 years of a famine of the word of God in the land. Remember, the last prophet was 400 years prior to the time of Jesus being the consolation of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem that you read about in the first three chapters of the book of Luke. If you back up in the text here, you go to verse 22, you see that Jesus is bringing about healing to further prove he is the Messiah. The fulfillment of all that Israel hoped for, yet that wicked generation was missing the point. The gospel message itself essentially is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every jot and tittle of the Old Testament, meaning every detail and the very hope of Israel. 
That is the gospel, and that is the gospel the Apostle Paul continually preached and defended. That which was built upon the hope of the prophets. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, we read, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. I have explained before that the mystery of God was about how and when God would bring about the vengeance of the martyrs and the resurrection of the dead ones. As is noted in the first chapter of Ephesians, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that mystery. The book of Revelations, book of Revelation is giving further details in regards to how that would come about. Again, remembering that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that Deuteronomy chapters 31 through 32 clearly point out the future details of wicked and disobedient Israel. We read the same thing in Leviticus chapter 26. Let's take a look at verses 17 through 24. Again, that is Leviticus chapter 26, verses 17 through 24. And here we read. I will set my face against you, so that you will be struck down before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you, and will, you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down the pride of power. I will make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly, for your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beast of the field, which will bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie deserted. And if by these things you, are, you, still, are not turned against, you still turn against me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you, and I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. I also will bring upon you a sword, which will execute vengeance for the covenant. And then, when you gather together in your cities, I will send pestilence among you, so that you shall be delivered into the enemy's hands. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will break your bread in one oven. They will bring back your bread in rationed amounts, so that you will eat and not be satisfied. Yet in spite of this, you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me. Then I will act with wrathful hostility against you. And even I will punish you seven times for your sins. And you can continue reading here. We'll just continue reading, actually, to... Uh, Let's see. Oh, that went up beyond my reading. You see the point. It's very clearly pointing to the events of AD 70. I pray that you are seeing with clarity that these details very clearly apply to Old Covenant Israel. God's people. And Jesus made it very clear. It was that generation, surely, that would see these things fulfilled. As we move forward in the narrative, by the time we get to the book of Judges, which is shortly after Israel enters into the land of Canaan, they are already being rebuked for disobedience. Since Israel had failed to remove the people of the land as the Lord commanded, he would not drive out other nations before them. Instead, those nations would now remain and would become a snare or something that would entangle them. You read this in Judges chapter 2, verse 3. Just continue reading in Judges chapter 2, and you will note that after Joshua dies, Israel ends up following in the ways of the pagans and serving the Baals. Therefore, God was angry. Throughout Judges, Judges 8, 33-34 specifically, we read of how Israel went into idolatry and forsook the Lord their God. All of this should be familiar to us, since we know that it is the wickedness of Old Covenant Israel that demonstrated the need for a Messiah. God uses their story specifically to point out the innate desire of all men to commit sin or the carnal mind predisposed to wickedness, and how that would 
present the need for a Messiah, the Messiah would bring forth the, necess- the necessary wisdom in regards to God's wisdom, God's healing, and God's standard of righteousness. All throughout the prophets, this is depicted as a time that would be revealed in Israel's judgment, as well as the salvation of a remnant. This was the hope of Israel, as we have noted, the mystery of God. We read about this in Ezekiel chapter 6, for example. If you'll turn with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 here. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel, and prophesy against them, and say, Mountains of Israel, listen to the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys. Behold, I myself am going to bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. So your altars will become desolate, and your incense altars will be smashed, and I will make your slain fall in front of your idols. I will also lay the dead bodies of the sons of Israel in front of their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars. In all your dwellings, cities will become waste, and high places will become desolate, that your altars may become waste and desolate, that your idols may be broken and brought to an end, that your incense altars may be cut down and your works may be blotted out. The slain will fall among you, and you will know that I am the Lord. However, I will leave a remnant, for you will have those who escaped by the sword among the nations when you are scattered from among the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they have been carried captive, how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me, and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols, which they loathe themselves in the sight of all evils which they have committed for their abominations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would inflict this disaster on them. Thus says the Lord God, clap your hands, stamp your foot, and say, Alas, because of the evil abominations of the house of Israel which will befall us by the sword, famine, and plague. He who is far off will die by the plague, and he who is near will fall by the sword. And he who remains is besieged, and is besieged will die by the famine. Thus I will spend my wrath on them. Then you will know that I am the Lord, when their slain are among their idols among the, around the altar. On every high hill, all around the tops of the mountains, under every green tree, under every leafy oak, the places where the offered soothing aromas to their idols... So throughout their habitations, I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land more desolate and waste than the wilderness toward Dibla. Thus they will know that I am the Lord. Again, you can see the multitude of ways that God demands to show he is the Lord in vengeance upon his adversaries. And here very specifically and clearly, Old Covenant Israel that had been given over to idolatry. In the New Testament, we find this being very familiar and in the minds of the people as they would have listened to Jesus. Again, I want to take us to Luke chapter 19 quickly. I'm going to bounce around here for a moment. In Luke chapter 19, verses 42 through 44, we read, Actually, we'll back up to verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which would make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and will surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And if you turn to Luke chapter 23... I'm just going to read one verse from that chapter in verse 29. 
For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Continuing into verse 30. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen to them when the tree is dry? Two others also were criminals and were being led away to put to death with Christ. And we understand that this is actually an echo of what the prophet Hosea said when judgment came upon the northern tribes by the Assyrians. Going to Luke chapter 21, backing up real quickly here, verse 32. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. We see this again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. And also in Matthew chapter 23, we have very clearly Jesus pointing out who killed the prophets and who stoned those that were sent to them. It was Jerusalem, those who God had longed to gather time and time again through the Old Testament prophets. Even more, there are some passages in Scripture that seemingly point to a very specific event that occurred during the last days, the destruction of Jerusalem, as we have talked about here. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 56 through 57, speaks of a refined woman who would be, who would be led to the point of selfishness and wickedness that she would eat her, her own child during the siege of Israel if they were disobedient. Sure enough, the historian Josephus tells the specific story of a woman who roasted and ate her child during the siege of Jerusalem in A.D. 64 to A.D. 70, especially during this time at the hands of the war at the hands of the Romans. In Micah chapter 3, verse 12, in noting Israel's wickedness, the prophet laments, Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. The mountains of a temple will become high places as a forest. This is very much akin to Jesus' prophecies against the land and temple in Matthew chapter 24. We now know that the very minutiae of the details were fulfilled in the history of the Roman Jewish war. The hiding from God's judgment and asking the mountains to fall on us was a term of judgment used against Israel going all the way back, as I have mentioned, to 8th century B.C. We read it in Hosea chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. And then Jesus uses that same logic in Luke chapter 23, verse 27 through 30, speaking about judgment upon Jerusalem. And we have read the same here in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. Once you study and learn the proper context, it becomes all too clear that these details are speaking about the Roman Jewish war in the first century. It's the blood of the prophets, the judgment of God revealed against Jerusalem and the vengeance of his martyrs. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 24, we read concerning Mystery Babylon that in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on earth. We read the similar statement in Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, as well as Revelation chapter 16, verse 6. Jesus Christ specifically identifies the adversary of the saints in Matthew chapter 23, verse 35. Again, this would not have been surprising to the original audience because they have heard these statements about Old Covenant Israel and specifically Jerusalem throughout the prophets. And these verses that I have listed here will be noted in your review sheets. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, we read not only a timetable, but also a simple note of who the holy people of God are and how these prophecies are being applied to them. As well noted by established Christian writer David Shilton in his book, Days of Vengeance, this language cannot be used of Rome or any other city. Only Jerusalem was guilty of all the righteous blood shed on earth. Don Preston, in his foreword to the book, Who Was the Mother of Harlots, which I mentioned earlier, noted, the point is that if you have wrong, the wrong identity of Babylon, you have a false eschatology, and it's that simple. Once you know the history, the details become irrefutable. 
Maybe you're not into reading through all the resources. That's fine. However, I don't want you to miss out the value on knowing this. Here's my advice. Go and find BBC's series on ancient Rome on YouTube. Find the episodes titled Nero and Rebellion. Watch them. After that, read the book of Revelation. In his historical accounts, the first century general and historian Josephus said, if the misfortunes of all nations from the beginning of the world were compared with those which befell the Jews, they would appear far less in comparison. No other city suffered such things as no other generation from the beginning of the world was ever more fruitful in wickedness. George Holford, in his book, The Destruction of Jerusalem, noted, Finally, the catastrophe which we have described is pregnant with most important instruction. From the midst the ruins of Jerusalem, a voice may be calling loudly and incessantly in the ears of all nations and saying, Beware that you depart not from the living God. While the insulted descendants of Abraham scattered over the faces of the earth re-echo in despite of themselves the solemn admonition and in effect exclaim, Behold, pictured in our fate awful consequences of apostasy and especially of our rejection of the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world. God had blessed Israel with covenant relationship and demanded that they be obedient. This would be life to them and would honor God. They would demonstrate his will as in their obedience they were his very wisdom and understanding. This is noted in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In their disobedience they would be condemned and would come to be a byword among the nations. Sadly, they earned the latter, latter rather than the former. God's wrath was revealed in the first century at the hands of the Roman armies. And thanks be to God, for those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation, which still stands as an eternal judgment. Jesus illustrated this point through many of his parables, noting how Israel had become barren, fruitless, had nothing to provide for their harvester, God. An impending judgment was soon to be revealed. In Israel's disobedience, they had squandered the value of knowing God and being in covenant with him and had essentially become ineffective and unfruitful in being the wisdom and understanding of God. This morning I began watching some of Dr. Don K. Preston's morning musings in regards to the parables of Jesus. He has eschatology through the parables as well as a recent indictment of John Hagee's teachings as revealed through the parables as well. All in all, the Gospels or the good news is that in Christ we celebrate the victory, that grace has been given and through the empowerment of the Spirit and Christ in us, we can be effective and fruitful in our knowledge of Him. This season brings perfect opportunity to be productive and effective in your use of the knowledge of God. Israel failed to be grateful for what they had, and that led to their wanton behavior, as revealed through the details we have been reading in the book of Revelation. Israel, demonstrated through Jerusalem, had become a harlot, an adulteress who killed the prophets sent to her, and and whom upon judgment was soon to come. And this would be revealed in that generation. Now that we know all of this, we must walk worthy of of being effective and productive in our use of the knowledge of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we are given a sort of spiritual to-do list. And since this season of lists, which, you know, be they Thanksgiving shopping lists, Christmas lists, or your Christmas list to Santa, I want to provide you with a list that will enable you to live life to the full and see God at work in your life. I encourage you to write each word down and think of ways of implementing these aspects into your life each and every day. Let's read here quickly through 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his precious promises... 
For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that through them you can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So let's talk about this real quickly as we come to a close. Diligence in faith describes a determined zeal which marks a daily goal. That if you do this each and every day, add faith in virtue. Or what we might call, show your faith by your works. We read that in James chapter 2. Knowledge, which is simply practical wisdom. Constantly be adding practical wisdom to your life. Temperance or self-control. This means mastering one's moods rather than being controlled by them. That's something we surely need to practice during this season and forevermore. Patience, the habit of viewing all circumstances as coming from a loving Father's hand who is in control of all events. Again, that is something great for us to do in this season and forevermore, trusting in God's sovereignty. Godliness, the pagans used to use this word to describe a religious individual who kept in close touch with the gods. But there's no sense of religiosity here, but a continual awareness of God's presence affecting and governing every aspect of life. Brotherly kindness, again, we don't need to go to Philadelphia to learn this. It's so closely linked to godliness that 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. As Jesus taught this in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, that a love for our brethren involves serving one another, laying down our life for one another, sharing with another, practically and intimately praying for one another. And then ultimately love. We know that brotherly kindness reveals love. So much that scripture says that God is love. Next week we will begin going through Revelation chapters 19, chapter 19, 1 through Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Before we close, I just want to end with a Thanksgiving benediction. Please stand and receive this benediction this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the broad expanse of God's love, the abundance of his riches and glory, Shape your perspective on your life and needs, including those things which disappoint you. May the eyes of your heart be opened to all the blessings which surround you. May this awareness produce a harvest of generosity in your spirit. May thankfulness rise up within you, not just during this short season, but day after day, from the early morning watch until you retire for the night. May your prayers reflect gratitude while also acknowledging the needs of others whose situations are so drastically different. May thoughts of Jesus fill your mind, hunger of God drive your soul, and love for the Lord guide your speech and your actions. And finally, may the grace, peace, and love of the triune God protect, defend, and empower you to run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Amen.